Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to a new episode of Just Another Football Podcast. Uh, I am Danny Miller and this week I'm joined by our ace of spades, Joey Pollard. Tonight in his red jersey, our queen of hearts, Chris Nichols, and the joker in the pack, Josh Bettley. How are we doing, boys? Are we good? Yes, thank you. Nice to see you all back again. Nice to see you all back, certainly. So we've got loads to go through today, um, and there's some things that we want to tie up because we weren't here over the World Cup, and we said we would be, but we weren't. Well... That's what happens when you've got a bunch of musicians on a podcast. Uh, And we've got loads to talk about from what's been happening over the festive period. So we're going to crack on. We're just going to briefly talk about the World Cup. Um, Argentina, the eventual winners, none of us predicted Argentina. I think we predicted Argentina to get to the final, maybe, but not to win the whole thing. Um, Disappointing uh, showing for Brazil as well. They obviously missed Joel Linton in midfield. That's what it was. Um... But, um, Joey, we're going to start with you. Uh, I want the World Cup in three words, please, mate. Okay. Luckily, Dan, you gave us a, a preempting on this, so, so we had three words. My three words are thoroughly enjoyable tournament. I would agree with that. Um, I'm going to go against the run of that, and uh, I'm probably going to go load of shit. I didn't enjoy. Okay. So, I'm glad to see Chris has picked up uh, a more positive attitude for 2023. Oh, yeah. New year, new me. We just need to make sure that that isn't misquoted as like um, a recommendation for this podcast. So, Uh (laughs) should we just copy and paste that into like the Everton section as well, Chris? Yeah, I I think that's that's what it comes down to. No, I just, (laughs) I don't know. It was the the time of year and everything like that. It just, nothing about it sat well with me. And it's, Sorry, I know you asked for three no. words, but I've kind of, I've taken the microphone, I've taken the soapbox and I'm running with it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just the time of year. I don't know. It felt like, like the World Cup's always felt like a little treat or, you know, and the Euros, like a summer treat, you know, off season. And it's just like, ah, oh, and you know, you have like the aspect of like sitting in the beer gardens, like summertime, enjoying it. It just felt like at that time of year, everybody's heads chocker with Christmas stuff, you know, working up to Christmas, all this. And you're in the middle of the season, like everything about that felt wrong. And particularly in the group stages, some of the football was rubbish. Like I, I thought it was like some of the games were naff. Um, even as like, you know, a big England fan, when we went out, I was just kind of like, eh. I just, I, I, I couldn't, for whatever reason, get into it. I, I, I thought the other way. I thought the standard was like was good, and I think that's partially down to the fact that it was when it was. So everyone was playing. I know there's a couple of nations that had gone on like big training camps and weren't playing for weeks beforehand and stuff. But I think the fact that you know the European nations, the South American nations, they they went into that tournament with their players match fit season fit not the back end of the year i thought that kind of brought the standard up i was a bit worried after the first game mainly for the fact that i thought there was going to be a whole load of match fixing going on with a couple of those early decisions but but generally i no i don't know i, I thought it was brilliant i really enjoyed it i thought the standard of football was great I thought you know you had your your classic fairy tale of morocco going through and getting as far as they did um you know, players that have well put themselves in in the shop window for January transfers. I I I I don't know where you're coming from, mate. To be honest, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a really I, good tournament. You raise a good point about the Morocco um, 
side of things. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, and yeah, particularly in the latter stages, there were some good matches. I, j- I just really struggled getting into it. It that might be like a personal thing, but you asked me the question. Yeah, no, I I think I'm between the two of you. Um, I think that the time of year felt wrong, but I thought because of the time of year, I felt like the football was at a quite a high standard. Um, and it meant that a lot of the players that we expected to see perform in the tournament did perform because they were match fit and they'd been playing all the way up to it. Um, I've gone for my three words as Messi Martinez magic. I, ju- I thought it was the the greatest final I've ever seen of any competition. Um, it was one of the greatest football games I've ever watched. I, I was engrossed the whole time. Um, and that, and Messi was fantastic. And Bappe was fantastic, obviously, but Martinez is safe. Love him or hate him. I feel like he's Marmite um, Martinez. I mean, Martinez, but he, um, yeah, I thought he was fantastic in the final and that save at the end to basically keep them in the tie was unbelievable. I love him for what it's, for what it's worth. I do love him. <laughs> and his celebration as well when he won the Golden Glove was just magical. I'd uh, picked, I'm glad I had two written down because you sort of, uh, not stole mine, but I had one of my two was Lionel Messi, goat. Yeah. Uh, so, but I'll go with to uh, spread the flavour out. England penalty heartache brackets yeah. again. So you can copy <laughs> and paste it from multiple tournaments. Yeah, definitely. And I thought England underperformed on the on the whole. Um, I think there was a for me anyway. I don't know what you boys think about this, and we'll, we we will move on after this. But I just felt after we won the first game, there was this like England are the best thing since sliced bread. And then suddenly, again in the second game, it was an absolute disaster show. I'm I'm a bit upset. We we've we're going to persevere with Southgate. I think Southgate's done mm-hmm. a good job, but I think we need somebody with a bit more creativity and somebody less conservative to move us forward. I think otherwise we we will just find ourselves stuck in the same situation of going out at the same kind of times and tournaments and not actually going for the jugular and matches. Um, because we were the better side against France. And had we have, like, you know, taken that game by the balls, we, we should really have won it. Yeah. It's just that, you know, we went too conservatively. And I think that's that's our problem under Southgate. I, I, I agree with you about Southgate. And I, I think the, after the tournament, if he was going to leave, that decision was only going to be his. The FA were never going to sack him or, or, you know, let him go. But I think one of the consequences of the timing of this World Cup is the fact that it's moved it six months closer to the Euros. So therefore, you know, I think Euros, does Euros qualifying start in March, I think? It's fairly soon anyway. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it's the whole time about getting a new manager in and stuff like that. But the other side of it, it, Chris, and, and, you know, you'll you'll know this from Everton changing their manager, which maybe they shouldn't have done or what have you. It's a case of if Southgate had gone then like who who would have stepped in anyway? Who thought- would have taken the job? The outstanding English candidates are Eddie Howe and Graham Potter. Neither of those two is going to take the job currently. Do you go for a foreign manager? Do you go for one of the other SAT managers? We, I had the discussion with a couple of couple of my mates at work and the kind of the best of a, of a bad bunch in inverted commas we could come up with was Steven Gerrard. And that's because he kind of knows about England. He's respected in the game and stuff like that. But there's no way he's ready to be England manager. So I think, I think Southgate staying for 
for the next tournament till the end of his contract. I'd be very surprised if he does anything after that. But yeah, I think it's kind of a consequence of no one else available, plus the Oros is just coming upon us a bit too quickly. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Right then, let's move on. Um, And we're going to firstly talk about the FA Cup that happened uh, over the weekend. Eight Premier League teams were knocked out um, in the third round. That is the most top flight sides to go out at this stage since 2007-2008, which was also the last uh, last season to see a side outside of the Premier League reach the final. Can any of you name that team? What what year was it, sorry? 2007-8. Millwall? No, that was before, wasn't it? Say that again, sorry. So the last team outside the Premier League to reach the FA Cup final. Bradford was League Cup, yeah. mm-hmm. I think. Cardiff was League Cup when we played. <laughs> it was Cardiff, Joey. Was it? Was that, it was, was that Cardiff. Yeah. Liverpool-Cardiff when Anthony Gerrard missed his, missed his penalty and we won. Yeah, yeah. long time yeah. ago. My beloved Newcastle went out uh, against Sheffield Wednesday, which is a, a, a big result. But I want, arguably... to, I want to start with that, Dan. I want to just, before we go into any further detail, as in Newcastle... I think we should just move on. Not, not, not the result, <laughs> mate. You know what? I won't, we won't dwell on that. You know, you lost, you're out. You've got, well, I'm going to make a point and see if you agree with it. Was your team selection based on other priorities? Um, I personally think when I saw the lineup for the game, I thought it was more than enough to win the game. Um, I I feel like, was it eight changes, I think, is probably too many. But at the same time, you look at that team and you say, okay, well, you know, we're playing League One, Sheffield Wednesday, we should win that game. Um, I I think there's a lot of players that don't, um, that can't play that Eddie Howe game, basically. So I, I think there was there was two things that came out of your selection. One, I was quite surprised by it. I know you, you were playing your League Cup quarterfinal three days later, and you would have had an eye on that. You've got aspirations to play European football this season. Champions League is a, a, a possibility. You know, it's not beyond the realms of, of reality at all. But what I thought in terms of your team selection, yeah, I completely agree with you. Any team that you should that you should put out should beat a League One side, even though Wednesday was second. But, and I know this has been spoken about in, in mainstream media, are you concerned about the fact that your squad players couldn't beat a League One team? I think we've spoken before about us, and I've said, I, I don't think we're ready for Champions League football. I've said it before. Um, and arguably playing Thursday, Sunday is going to be as difficult as playing Wednesday, Saturday, um, or Tuesday, Saturday, whatever it is. Uh, but against better opposition, obviously. But I just think that there will be reinforcements in the summer if we do get into Europe. I mean, I was worried. Chris Wood missing, that's it. I've been a staunch defender of Chris Wood. I think he came in last season. He did a fantastic job. There was a reason why we went on 10 games unbeaten at the start of 2022 or whatever it was. There's a reason that that happened and it was because we finally had a focal point up front that wasn't injured, basically. But saying that, I think that he is not good enough and that's why we've brought Isak in. Um, and I think it's a pro- it's a slow process that's that's going to change it. But we should have won that game on Saturday. Um, we're going to talk about... One of the things that I want to talk about actually is the Newcastle game didn't have VA on it. Arguably two goals 
Um, shouldn't have stood the first Sheffield Wednesday goal was offside, as was Bruno's goal. But the Liverpool versus Wolves game did have VAR on it, but also didn't really do its job um, because there was there both of them were howlers. Yeah. Um, I know, Chris. You want to talk? You want to talk about this? Um, yeah. I wish the listeners could see Chris's face right now. He is glowing like I've never seen him glow before. Uh, I have to, like, full disclosure, my tinfoil hat is well and truly on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's cheating. It's it's cheating. I don't know who it's coming from, but it's, it's... Those decisions cannot be made in professional football. There's no excuse apart from there's some level of corruption or cheating. Simple as that. You're telling me that they called that offside, that that Wolves goal offside, and it, it was the correct decision. No, that, it been, wasn't the right VAR's decision. VAR's been going on for five years. They've been ironing out the creases for how many of them now. It's been around for five years. It know, We know how it works. They're in the stadiums for like three hours before setting up 20 to 30 cameras around the place, right? And you're telling me there's a blind spot. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, and I, and I will say, sorry, Joe, I, I'll, I'll go to you in a sec, but Liverpool posted a video of Darwin Nunez's goal uh, and it had the camera angle that they needed for VAR in the highlight reel of that mate, video. Mate, some, like literally somebody found the camera angle proven that the lad who took, the, they claimed that the reason why is because it went back to the lad who took the corner Right, and he was who was offside. Took somebody on Twitter like thirty seconds to find it. Right, mm-hmm. you're telling me the people who get paid at like a massive, you know, we're talking about like multinational, global um, events here. It's like the Premier League's the biggest. For, I know it's not. I know it's the FA Cup, but you know, it's just. It's cheating, mate, because that you can find that information there, and they didn't. It's like it's the it's the only explanation. It's the only explanation, mate. Simple as that. Because it's like that goal was onside. Everybody knows it was onside. But for whatever reason, this amazing technology that costs how many millions of pounds and all this can't find that that was offside. Behave, behave. I won't go so far as as Chris's opinion say it was cheating. What what I will say is I I am in complete agreement with the fact that yeah var now should be so well entrenched into stadia there should not even be the get out clause so to speak of hands up i'm sorry we didn't have the angle of that it is absolutely bizarre that 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 can happen just to interject it's like i'm not like when i say cheating i'm not saying that it's like a Liverpool thing. I'm like I'm saying that there's there, there are forces that be who have an agenda, <laughs> and it's like I don't like I don't know whether it's match fixing. I don't know whether it's it, like I just I don't know what it is. But something is going on where decisions are being allowed to be made that are just incorrect, and everybody knows they're incorrect. And the idea of VAR is that it can step in and be like, nah, that's wrong. And it's making so many mistakes. And examples like what happened 
in the Liverpool match because also Salah's goal was offside. We all know that was offside, but VAR also decided that he was onside. I don't, I think like with the Salah goal, I was going to come on to that. Not a question of VAR deciding that he was onside. That is a, that's a fundamental flaw in the laws of the game because when that ball was played to Salah, he was offside. And if he is not in that area, there is no way that the defender goes for the ball. It's the, he just wouldn't make an effort to go for it. So what you're asking defenders to do, if they're going to abide by the laws of the game, is he's got to make his own decision as to whether Salah's offside. And if he thinks he's offside, he's got to leave the ball. And then the flag goes up and goes, oh, yeah, he's offside. To then say he started a new phase of play or whatever because he's then headed it is absolute lunacy because he has only headed it because he's trying to stop the ball getting to a man who's in an offside position. So it should be a case of a, a similar scenario as to when the ball's played through and, you know, and the, la- the flag doesn't go up straight away and then the person scores and then they go, oh, yeah, he was offside. What they should do, yeah, the flag should stay down. If the ball goes to Salah, obviously the flag goes up. But similarly, if the defender makes an effort to block it, they've got to go. It's common sense. It's absolutely common sense to say he was only doing that because he was stopping the ball going to man in an offside position. I think that was worse than the 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 disallowed the goal. goal yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I completely agree with you. What And what's worse than everything in the whole scenario is the fact that you've got a cup competition where you've only got VAR in play at a certain percentage of games. Yeah. If it, if, it's, if it's not available across all games, then don't use it. The prime example was it uh, Chesterfield and West Brom, mm-hmm. where the lad threw an elbow, didn't he? Yeah. Hit the fella in the face. If VAR had been there, he definitely would have been sent off. While the lad's off the pitch getting treatment for taking a smack in the face, the lad who's just giving it to him scores. And therefore, Chesterfield draw three all, he gone to a replay. If VAR is available, then the man gets sent off. He's not on there to score. Chesterfield go through. So, unbelievable. It's just, and I know it's been mentioned so many times on the telly and in the papers, but I just can't believe that they would not have a level playing field until it gets to the stage where the draw naturally means that there's VAR available. I think what they've done in the League Cup is excellent. I think what they've done in the League Cup is excellent. Um, and they're, they're basically no VAR until the final. I don't see why that is not a thing. It should be, when should be, you've should got... be a certain stage or just no VAR unless the draw dictates that actually every ground that is being played at does have VAR so we can use it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... Yeah, I don't know where I stand on that. I think that I feel like that if it's being played at Wembley, I mean, if it was my decision uh, in the like, particularly in the League Cup, I probably wouldn't even have it in the final as well because that's the way the whole competition's being played. But it's a high stakes match. It's you know less so for the League Cup, but uh, and and probably for for the FA Cup as well. You would say that the money's not as as big as it is in you know in the Premier League or whatever, but. At the same time, like a, a bad decision can ma- mean the difference between a team not winning a trophy or not, basically. That's like, especially Chesterfield, you know, they're a non league side. They win that game. They, who knows what happened? They could have been drawn away at, at your place. Away, away. Oh, no, you went out. Sorry, they couldn't have been drawn away at your place at all, could they? <laughs> all right. So that's a good place to move on to 
Uh, talking about the League Cup semis, we'll just talk about this briefly. Southampton um, getting through against Man City. Uh, I saw a very amusing comment from someone on the BBC Live feed last night who'd written in to say that he was a Southampton season ticket holder, had bought a ticket for the game and then just didn't go. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I, I've watched them on telly. Sorry about that background noise. I don't know if you can hear it. Yeah, someone dying behind you. Someone's having a mental breakdown in my accommodation (laughs) block. Um, I look at Southampton and they just scream relegation fodder at me a little bit. Uh, And then you think, oh, sack Carson Hootall and bring Nathan Jones in. That's that sort of long-term planning for the championship? No wins in the Premier League, but uh, three wins, is it now, in the... In the cups, they beat uh, Crystal Palace at the weekend as well. Like, unfortunately, and I'm trying to think of examples off the top of my head. You think of teams like Blackpool, who are plucky underdogs, that doesn't keep you up. And was is that a good result for them in terms of staying up? Probably not. Good result, good result, but long term, yeah. maybe not ideal. They are rooted to the bottom of the Premier League, Chris, but they're playing Everton next. Their, their their fortunes are about to see an upturn, I would assume. Um, the same happened with us playing Wolves the other week. Um, yeah, I, I like. I think that's what Everton do do best. Is it's like when teams need three points, we are very charitable. Um, and which is crazy because then we'll we'll go you know and fight out a very harder points against Man City and look relatively decent. Um. It's exact games like Southampton is exactly the kind of game that we'll lose. Also, just as an Evertonian at the minute, I go into every single game expecting to lose. I'm just and it's kind of liberating. I think I oh in in like our little text chat, I mentioned this. Um, I expect to lose every game. So when we do, I'm just kind of like ah well. Whereas like when we were under Martinez and chasing Champions League football and you know chasing the Euro- European spots draw in a match that we should have won would like ruin my weekend. Whereas at the minute, I'm just kind of like, eh. Like my stance on Everton at the present is if we go down this season, which I think there's a very good chance we might. And Joe made an amazing point on it. I think on the last podcast or the one before saying that any relegation side in order to stay up, you need a striker who's going to score you like 12 goals a season, I think you said, or something like that, mm-hmm. which I think is an, is like an absolutely, you know, you're so spot on about that. And Everton just don't have that. We do not have that. So where next for Lampard then? Is he still, is he still the, is nah, he still the go, man? He'll go, he'll go, he'll go. But as I said to you guys as well, I also expect Everton will do something incredibly stupid, like give Lampard loads of money to spend probably like 40 million on loftus cheek or some panic buy like that i thought your your loftus cheek analogy was the most spot-on transfer analogy i've heard in months it's exactly the type of thing you would expect your club to do exactly so we'll we'll give lampard like a load of money he'll buy somebody like loftus cheek 40 odd million on like the last day and then we'll fire him on like the third of february when the transfer window's closed (laughs) And be like, oh, and get some new chump in, probably Sean Dyche now that Martinez has gone to Portugal. And <laughs> and uh, it, it's just, it's a catastrophe, mate. It's an absolute catastrophe. And like I say, if we go down this season, and there's a very good chance we will, because I don't I don't see where results are coming from. I don't see where goals are coming from. I think you need, I think you need Chris Wood. Chris Wood. I think you need to pay 25 million for Chris Wood. 
Yeah, we probably would. <laughs> Take 30. No, it's, it's, um, yeah, we didn't learn our mistakes from last season and we haven't learned our mistakes from the last couple of seasons where there's been a downward tra- trajectory. And it's, it's incredibly upsetting to see as an Evertonian, but I also, um, just past the point of caring now because you're just you're just seeing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Do you think you'll get a result at the weekend? <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> no. Um, no, no, no. I don't think we will. I think Saints have they've just come off the back of a very good um, you know League Cup win. They'll be going into the game with confidence. We're coming into the game with no confidence. They need three points. We just like I said, we're very charitable when it comes to that. I, I would not be surprised to see Southampton win. Do you think if Southampton win, do you think Lampard would ever step down? Do you think he do you think he would say, you know, that's a bit discreet? Because I don't think he will. And I think he's only going to take you one way, mate, which is into the championship. Yeah, Lampard, Lampard wouldn't step down. He's got too much of an um, ego, I suppose. And he will we'll always fight and all that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, if we lose that, I, I can't see him not getting fired. Mm. I just can't. I think, what is it? We've won two games all season or something like that. It's awful. No, it's not good at all. So that um, that League Cup win for Southampton, uh, that pits them against uh, Newcastle United in the semi-finals. Um, they play at home first and then at St. James's for the second time. Oh, Chris, are you leaving us? I do. Sorry, mate. I have to go. No, time it's all goes. right. We'll see I you think- next time. I think my Everton rant took me across the finish line. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Southampton face Newcastle at St. James is the second in the second tie, which I think is going to be tough. Uh, and then uh, Nottingham Forest scrape through on penalties and we'll play Manchester United. I think it will Trafford the second time uh, for the second game as well. All right, let's move on to the festive Premier League uh, fixtures that happened, or just a rundown. Um, We're going to start with uh, the team at the top of the league, of course, Arsenal. Um, They are running rampant, um, but they came a little bit unstuck against um, Eddie Howe's Newcastle. A nil-nil draw, and they were quite poor in the first half against Oxford, I thought, on Monday night. But can they really do it, Josh? Can they really... We're halfway through the season now. They don't look like they're going to let up. Can they do it? I think we made this point last time, but remember when Leicester were top of the league and every week we used to say, hmm, can they do it? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, And I don't know if that's even a a usable analogy, but I mean, they keep finding ways to get results, which is not a hallmark of Arsenal of the last 15 years. Um. I, you know, I'd love, I'd love it if Arsenal won the league. Arsenal won the teams who made me fall in love with football. So I yeah, always, I would agree with that. Don't mind when they win things. Um, I'd probably want a couple of signings in January, just to, even if to anything, just add a little bit of competition for places. Because you know, if you're one of those players who isn't quite the first name on the team sheet, it's amazing what having a bit of competition in your position will do to your own game. Yeah. Um, one of the lads that um, I've just been working with over Christmas is a big Arsenal fan. Um, and we were we were t- together last year as well. And both of us, obviously, last year, very pessimistic. This year, he thinks, they, he thinks they're nailed on for Europa League, but he thinks they can do it. He thinks they can go on and win it. I 
personally think that they don't necessarily have the legs for it. I think we're going to learn a lot about them in the next three games. They play Spurs, White Hart Lane or whatever it's called these days at the weekend. And then they play Manchester United after that. And then they've got Man City in the in the fourth round of the FA Cup. I think Arsenal, they're almost being done a disservice. You know, if you look at look at the table now, they're... Them and City, they both played 17, yeah, so nigh on halfway through the season. And they're five points clear. So they've got to drop those points, obviously, and City have got to pick them up. City aren't steamrolling as we thought they were going to do. You know, they obviously lost to Brentford. Um, they've had the, then they had the draw recently. The main thing for Arsenal, which Josh touched on, is, and this is not any kind of mega football insight at all, They've got Eddie and Ketia playing up front currently. Now, yeah. I, I rate him. He's decent. But he, I think if they were charged with him being up front for the rest of the season, I think even their own fans might be a little bit, mm, not quite sure if that's going to be good enough. But the flip side to that is we're in a January transfer window. So if they are going to sign anyone of any pedigree, to take up the mantle of being their their main man through the middle, they're probably going to have to pay decent money for anyone who is available. Um, they've got a bit more pull than they have previously as well. You know, people who want to going to join join the club top of the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I think I completely agree with Josh. Bulk out the squad, even if just for comp- competition purposes. I think they're great at the back. I think if you look at the you know their their bat line now, they've got plenty of options there. Mm. Um, I was listening to the radio the other day and they were talking about it, the, the uh, example that they used is if Xhaka got injured, you know, the reborn Granite Xhaka who's playing superbly, next in line is El Nenny. It's like, and that's a that's a big change in player there. Um, similar to losing Jesus and playing Enketia. So, yeah, I completely agree with, with what Mr. Betley said and two, maybe three January signings of a good calibre. The type of signings a team with aspirations of winning the league this year need to be making. I haven't necessarily seen them linked with anyone apart from that Mudruk from uh, Shakhtar. One of one of the things that we that we observed big time um when we were watching the uh when we were watching the Newcastle game was um that and it's interesting that you mentioned Xhaka there. Xhaka was pulling out to the left-hand side a lot. And basically what was happening was Zinchenko was playing as a central midfielder. If you look at his stats from the game, his passing was ridiculous. He's got he had ridiculously high passing stats. But the problem was that he was playing them basically to um out on the wings, and there was or when he was playing them into Enketia, he was either far too far forward because he is he's an ad, he's a advanced forward really isn't he he's not like Jesus who I would say Jesus is more of like he's not a traditional when I say traditional false nines are fairly you know new role in football but he's not like a messy type false nine he plays a bit further forward than that he's more like a pressing forward but he likes to drop deep and he links up the play and I think that says you know, that's everything that Arsenal have been about this season was he hasn't scored a lot of goals, but he's been integral in the way that they play. And I think Enketia not hasn't necessarily been that and is not that in that squad, which is why I think it's interesting that they're after Mudra, because even though I don't know that much about him, um, from what I've seen, he's more of a winger. 
he's more he's 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 better off the left. I don't know if you've if you guys have seen much of him before. I think they need to they need to find someone who will come in and between now and the end of the season we'll get the best part of twenty goals for them and if they do do that, they should win the league. Well, a lot easier said than done, has to be said. Um, a team that are struggling for goals at the moment uh, are Chelsea. They're in action tonight against Fulham. Uh, you mentioned Graham Potter before, Joey, um, with regards to the England squad, uh, in regards to the England manager. But Josh, I want to know whether you are stick or twist on Potter. So my brother is a very big Chelsea fan. Of so I like to rib him whenever the result goes against them. I have memories of his childhood trauma of Chelsea losing matches and he'd throw things around the room. Um, fortunately, he's grown up a little bit and doesn't throw things anymore, but he still gets quite angry, which is amusing. <laughs> um, so I read an article yesterday, <clears throat> the classic sort of toilet reading session that most blokes do, um, just get some time away from reality. And it said, uh, it was Graham Potter saying he wouldn't have left Brighton if he thought there was any chance that he'd get sacked after four months. So that says to me that he has pretty serious backing from the owners of Chelsea. Yeah, I yeah. think um, it would be um, it would be ballsy of Todd Bully to sack him when he was the one that brought him in and he sacked Tuchel. Again, one of the lads on Pantel was a big Chelsea fan and uh, he was saying that he's kind of lost patience and I think a lot of Chelsea fans are in that boat. Um, and we know what Chelsea are like historically. They are, you know, trigger happy. I am a stick. I think he needs time. He hasn't even had a transfer window yet. And we've seen what we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about transfers in a little bit. But if they were going to, I think I agree with you, Josh, if they were going to sack him, um, it would be a huge, huge decision. Who replaces him? Who replaces him? I think as well, what you've got to bear in mind is a lot of Chelsea fans probably didn't want Tuchel to go, so that always means the next person in is not going to get as much sort of time in like the fans' estimations, just because yeah. a bit of them will be like, why do we get rid of Tuchel for this guy? Um, I agree. But there is a little bit of me that thinks Englishman out of his depth, just, you know, historically, Englishmen have got big jobs and then ballsed it up royally. I would love him to succeed because I think he's got potential at being an England manager in the future. And, you know, some of the, you know, you get like little reels through of like football that Chelsea have played for 30 seconds and you're like, you know, it's great. Some of the foot and some of the football Brighton were playing earlier in the season. I think in terms of him losing his job at this stage, if they did bring someone in again, the name has been mentioned by some people because he's still available. He was available and he's sat Tuchel is, is Poch, is Pochettino. Um, but what are they going to achieve this year? They're not they're not going to get relegated, obviously. Um, they're not going to win the league. Are they going to get into the top four? Probably not, I don't think, this year. That would be a, a big ask if they did. So they might as well give Potter that little bit of time. Let him, in, let him impart his ideas on the squad, let him have a transfer window or, or two maybe. Um, they're obviously not shy with the money. Abramovich's era was one that kind of kick-started the, the big transfer fees. And then Todd Bowie's just as rich, if not richer. You know, he's got the money to spend. Chelsea fans born out of frustration, probably want to see him go. 
Chelsea fans rational sit down and assess this season and where they are currently, you might as well leave them in charge. And then if we get four or five games into next season and they're still not doing things, then probably he will lose his job. But I won't say his rise has been meteoric, but his, his steps have been fairly substantial each time in the way his career has progressed. And yeah, you know, we got Brighton playing lovely football and the difference being is, and, and I heard someone mention this the other day, they said if Brighton went on a four or five game losing streak or, you know, a couple of draws, it's Brighton. So therefore it was forgivable because it's yeah. expected. Whereas if he does it at Chelsea, it's not forgivable because it's Chelsea. So he's, he's got a really tough job on his hands and I think he's showing the signs of stress maybe already. I mean, he, 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 I think I'm thinking right in saying, did he put Aubameyang on and then sub him he did. the other day? You know, that's a, that's, that's a big statement, you know, to, to do that when we've already talked about their lack of goals and he's their really only out and out striker. Um, in there, but that was kind of, I don't know how much of that was, I'm Graham Potter and I'm in charge of this club kind of thing. I don't he know. was shit though. He, he was bound to be, mate. You know, he's, he, he kind of downs tools every time when he wanted to leave Arsenal, he, he kind of did there, got his move to Barca. Financial reasons probably, but, you know, Barca will let him go again. I think this season, let's let just let Chelsea go. Um, they will do their own thing. Next season, if he's still in charge, then I think we can, as uh, as the Joe public, we can pass pass our judgment then. Uh, so Chelsea are in tenth, but a team that are going down uh, at the moment, going down the league, um, but a team that are only rising up at the moment are Manchester United. Um, heard mixed reviews from Manchester United fans over the last kind of month or so. Before I ask your opinion, I just want to go through their results. Uh, since the 6th of November, okay, where they lost against Aston Villa. So they beat Real Sociedad in the Europa League, then beat, they've won all of these games. So Wolverhampton, uh, Nottingham Forest, Burnley, Charlton, uh, Everton and Bournemouth in no particular order, okay? Josh, of those teams, Manchester United historically should be winning those games anyway. Is Ten Hag the real deal or have they just had an easy run of fixtures? Uh, well, he's the fastest Man United manager ever to 20 competitive wins. Uh, there's a little stat for you. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, for me, he just looks like a cut above. Like, you know, he's had to deal with some pretty tough things. The two losses at the start of the season, you know... You say, are they games that Man United should be winning? Traditionally, obviously, yes. But, I mean, Man United of the last sort of, you know, eight to ten years have been brittle. They're winning games that they previously wouldn't have done. He's got Rashford back playing well again. I think in his head, he's probably finally made up that he's a wide forward, which other managers seem to refuse to make that decision. Um, so, we'll see. I mean, I've... They've signed Veghorst on loan today, which seems like a bit of an odd signing. I think what's uh, more odd about that signing is that, is it Besiktas that he was at? He's got like 12 or 13 goals this season or something. Besiktas willingly terminated his loan deal. That seems strange to me. I did read that United have had to pay them 3 million euros to terminate it. 
Interesting. Now, if they if there's no clause in for them to buy him, whether that be a obligatory clause or um, you know if he gets X amount of goals or plays X amount of games, but yeah, I, I did hear that United have had to pay them to terminate that. But it's an interesting signing. It really is. What do you think about Ten Hag, Joey? Uh, you look very much like him. Thanks, mate. You say <laughs> stress that. <laughs> um, I don't know. As a Liverpool fan, my natural tendency is to say it's all luck. Um, <laughs> but he, he must be doing something right. I think the biggest difference that you see between him and Solskjaer is in discipline. And I know a lot was made of it and what have you. And it, it could be, could have been for the publicity as much as anything. But the game where uh, Rashford had been late for the team team. So he left him out, brought him on at half time. He scored. Obviously, that was that was great. You know, it all worked out really well in terms of the publicity. Um but if he's if he's willing to let leave out his current best player, his form player, you know, again that shows that he's he's not messing around and doing that. He doesn't he doesn't appear to me to be particularly technical. He doesn't appear to me to be doing anything particularly different in in formations or strategies or how he's asking his team to play. There doesn't seem to be any particular uh, dynamic nature to the play, and you know, like. I know it's my team, so I'm going to be biased towards it. But when Klopp got his notions and everything into our squad and Liverpool started playing the way they did, it was a bit of a, a kind of a sit back and have a look moment and then stand up and go, bloody hell, like this is something incredible. The pressing, the way we're doing it. With United, I don't see any of that, but they're, they're playing well. They're playing well. They're scoring goals. They, you know, The players that they're, they're bringing in are doing well. I think that for me is the is the big thing. They're, I think their recruitment has been in areas where they haven't necessarily been able to, you know, uh, uh, pinpoint exactly what the problem is. Casemiro's been brilliant, obviously, but what what else do you expect from a five time Champions League winning yeah. midfielder? Do you know what I mean? For me, their big games are to come. Um, he, I, I agree with you, Joe, in that he. Um, I don't see his style of play. I don't know if that's just because I haven't watched Man United enough. Um, but I, when I watch them, I don't think, oh, Ten Hag's got these like really well drilled and playing really well. What I see is like the occasional like moment of magic from a player. Um, and I would argue that um, on Tuesday night against Charlton, that Anthony produced a moment of magic and they were 1-0 up and then they had to bring Casemiro and Rashford and whoever else on later in the game to put it away. And I know that playing those sort of teams is always tricky no matter who you are. Um, of course, I'm going to say that after the weekend, but um, it's no matter who you are, it's always tricky. Um, but for me at the moment, I still think he has questions to answer. I think that they've had... Again, Josh, I agree with you in that, you know, you can only beat what's put in front of you. And historically, well, over the last 10 years or so, Man United haven't done that. But big game on Saturday. Uh, is it Saturday lunchtime? I think they play Man City. I'll reserve judgment. If they win that game, you know, I'll hold my hands up and say, I, you know, maybe I was wrong. But 
I think from their recent run of form, I'm not fully convinced at the moment. I think, well, the Ten Hag's main thing, so what, what I can deduce from it is he's a motivator. And I think he's motivating individual players and they are reflecting his belief in them by, by performing. And I think also, again, contrary to Solskjaer, not in terms of Solskjaer in, in his career, that, that was massively respectful, but I think it appears that the players have respect for him and therefore will listen to what he says, listen to what he wants them to do and play for him, so to speak. You know, you go back to the 90s when, you know, I was in my teens and, and was watching all kinds of Premier League football. I didn't matter who it was. Manchester United at Old Trafford was just a giver. You know, they, they won. That that was all that happened. And that was because the, the players, yeah, they had an outstanding team. But the players played because they were playing for Manchester United. It was a privilege. And I think he's almost appearing to bring that mentality back a little bit. Um, so, yeah, but... Big game Saturday. If they win that, then yeah, who knows where, where the season could take them. All right, then let's move on to our final part. Then we're going to talk about the transfer window, and then of course we're going to finish with hero to zero or zero to hero, whatever we call it. I can't remember. Um, it's been so long. Um, so let's kick off with the with the transfer window stuff. Um, there have been we've already talked about um, Veg Horse, but I just want um, both of you briefly. How do you think he'll get on, Josh? Uh, I think he's just an option off the bench if they need a result against a team who are parking the bus. I I don't see him starting many games to be honest. He doesn't seem to fit the profile of football that they've been playing. But he did demonstrate in the World Cup that if teams want to go direct. He knows where the goal is. Shades of Odion Agarlo going to Man United a couple of years ago for me. Um, interesting signing. Um, maybe Burnley in their in the guys that they got relegated weren't the right team for him. Um, I think he's a bit like Crouchy was for all those years. I, I think he's probably better football than people give him credit for. Um, the goal that he scored against Argentina, the little worked free kick. Um, I read. Don't know how yeah. to as a red. That, that was his idea. It was his play. What a goal. He was like, "Do this, and I will score this goal for you." Um, with the start, potentially, yeah. Martial's not exactly scoring goals, is he? And he's he's the main man through the middle at the moment. Um, I think we'll we'll see a very different player to the one we saw at Burnley. I think he's going to play with more confidence. Again, he, 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 the fact that he said to Besiktas, "I want to go," you know. And United have stumped up some money to terminate that loan deal to bring him in on loan. He's got motivation. Um, I think uh, I, I read uh, on the transfer page today, again, there's no... I don't think there's an obligation to buy. I don't think there's any deal in place that they are going to have to buy him. So essentially, if, if that is true, he's got six months to get himself a permanent transfer to Manchester United. Um, and that's that's a big motivator for someone who's been loaned from Burnley out to Besiktas. Yeah. The other um, move for Manchester United, a strange one. I feel like I'd move back to to the mid, uh, like 2015 or something. Uh, Jack Butland going in on loan uh, to Manchester United. Um, obviously, Dubravka coming back to Newcastle um, has kind of triggered that move. Um, for one word, both of you, will he get a game? No. 
Josh doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Um, Chelsea have been the biggest movers and shakers so far this window. Uh, Andres Santos in for around 18 million. Uh, David Fofana in for 10. Uh, Benoit Badia-Chile in from Monaco for 35. Plus a few extras are here as well. And Jao Felix in from Atletico Madrid on loan. But £9 million, nine, I think £9.5 million to bring him in on loan. That seems, he's starting tonight against Fulham. That seems a lot of money for a six-month loan deal. Yeah, and again, I don't think, again, there's an obligation in place to buy him. No. Um, the conspiracy theorist view on it is that he's just getting out of Simeone's presence for the last six months of Simeone's contract at uh, Atleti, and then he'll go back. Just before we started recording, we did have the, the brief chat, and we all agreed it's just a strange signing. Uh, he just appears to be a very similar player to, to what they've got. I saw a little um, clip that someone had mocked up today, which said, you know, Havertz and, and Jao Felix playing up front for Chelsea together, and it was uh, two geezers playing basketball, and neither one of them would take the shot. They just kept passing it back and forth. Back and, forth. <laughs> um, and you can imagine that that's what's going to happen. Uh, they need an out-and-out striker. I, I, I don't know why they've gone and signed Felix because for me it seems like they've gone, right, we need to score some goals and who's available. And I understand that in a way, but at the same time, like they should have, they need a centre-forward. Havertz is not a centre-forward. Um, again, I was saying this um, a couple of weeks ago, there's a reason Germany did terribly at the World Cup. They were playing Kai Havertz up front. He is not a striker. He is much better in the number 10 and he needs somebody to play in front of him. And I just, for the life of me, it's such a strange decision. £10 million essentially on a player to come and play, like you say, Joe, play exactly the same role as they've already got. Teams do this thing, don't they, where... Someone like Jao Felix, who at one stage moved somewhere for a lot of money, and he probably went for too much money initially because he's not actually done very much considering the price tag. Like, goal every four games, I think, for Atletico Madrid, which for a guy who cost 110-odd million, you know, doesn't scream, like, value for money. But Uh Chelsea are probably looking at him going, he's available. What if someone else goes and gets him and then he goes and scores a few goals for them and we think, why didn't we go get him? Not a good way to work a transfer policy, but it happens quite often. Doesn't feel very Graham Potter to me, that signing, which I think uh, would be uh, interesting to know who has kind of facilitated that deal. Sorry, Dan, just interesting you mentioned it's not a kind of Potter-type signing. And again, I think this is kind of one of the, the consequences of the move of Potter. At Brighton, he was very much constrained by money, wasn't he? Not that, not that they didn't have any, but they were obviously working to a budget. They were working to a certain attractiveness of player. Players like, you know, it's transpired Cucurella and uh, Bissouma that were stepping stone players. Um, the only um, other big move, really, in the Premier League has been Cody Gapo at Liverpool. Um, he played very well in the World Cup. Uh, he was linked to Man United, and it seems like Liverpool have have come in and snatched him off the toes of Manchester United. It seems for a little bit less than Man United were going to pay as well. Joey, as a Liverpool fan, um, 
a hell of a lot of options now up front. Where does he fit into this side? We'll wait and see. It's my answer. Um, I was quite surprised that we signed him. Um, and like you said, if reports are to be believed for not just a, a few quid less, a substantial amount less than had apparently been agreed with Man United. Um, comparison to the Diaz transfer of last January, I know Klopp came out and said that he thought he could make the same impact as Diaz. That's why he signed him in January. Um, Tottenham made noises about signing Luis Diaz in the summer. So Liverpool signed him in January. Um, yeah, we're, we're blessed with an abundance of attacking talent now. Um, I think Gakpo will be great. I think he might be another one that takes a little bit of time for Klopp to just get him playing into the way that we want. Frustrating thing as a Liverpool fan spending that money on Gakpo is that we are crying out for at least one, probably two, maybe even three midfielders. Uh, The game against Wolves in the FA Cup they drifted through our midfield on so many occasions and we've got good players in there, but they're all just, and I'll, I'll use this word declining in a, in a fairly loose sense, but you've got Hendo who's great, but his career's going a certain way as is Fabinho, as is Thiago. The Ox has never come back. Curtis Jones, question mark. Harvey Elliott is going to be excellent. He really is, but he shouldn't be our pinnacle. We need midfield. Arthur Mello, you know, they came out in December, I think, and said, no, he's not going to go back to Juventus. You know, he's staying until the end of the season. We're still undecided about whether they're going to sign him or not. It's like, what's he done? He hasn't done anything. You know, yeah, we're crying out for midfielders. So, yes, I'm happy that we signed Gakpo. I think it would be very good. But if he'd asked me, should we spend the money elsewhere? I probably would have said yes. I'd be very disappointed if we don't bring in someone else this window. Who, Joe? Again, mate, we're, we're constrained by the, the January factor, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've made great signings in January. You know, we signed Van Dijk in January. We signed Suarez in January. We signed Diaz in January. Um, so th- there are successes. Andy Carroll. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I like Andy Carroll, mate, to be honest. We're constrained by the fact that if you want to go and sign someone who's going to impact your team, you're going to have to pay decent money for them. Who's available? No one's really available in January, are they? Only players that might be out of contract in the summer. So I don't know, mate. Um, there's been talk about the uh, the lad from Brighton, whose name escapes me uh, at the moment, um, the centre midfielder there. Um Mitoma, is it the Japanese fella? No, no. Oh, uh, oh Saicedo. Yeah, Saicedo. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't know why Mitoma came in my head. Yeah, Felipe Saicedo. Um, he'd be good because obviously he knows the league. You could bring him straight in. He'd be, he'd be okay. Um, yeah, I don't know, mate. I don't know. But yeah, Gapo is a big big transfer. Good. I'm happy. And I think, he, I think he'll do well. All right. Let's move on to our final thing for this week, and that is Zero to Hero. Um, Last time out, which was a while ago, if you can remember, I unfortunately won both. Um, I was my zero, um, and I beat out Frank Lampard and Everton, which is very disappointing. I got 71% of the vote. Is that because you go on all your other accounts and vote for yourself? (laughs) 
I do, well, definitely wasn't voting for myself, tell you that for free. And then Ashton United for bidding for Erling Haaland um, okay. won the uh, won the hero, uh, outvoted uh, Garnacho after his performance against Fulham. Um, this time, I am going to kick off with my hero. Um, and my hero, for probably as, as predictable as, as ever, uh, is going to be Nick Pope. Okay. Unbeaten in over 600 minutes, um, most clean sheets in all competitions in Europe's top five leagues and uh, hasn't conceded in his last seven games. What else can I say? He's been fantastic. Uh, I'm going to be wholly unoriginal and for his World Cup antics, Lionel Messi. Love it. I don't think I need to say anything more. I was rooting for him so much. And he finally got that uh, chip off the old shoulder and won the World Cup. So, yeah, Lionel Messi, just for, you know, fishing for likes. <laughs> As ever. Um, I'm going to flip mine around, so I'm going to go on my zero first, if that's okay. Okay, yeah, uh, we can do that. Nathan Jones, off to a stinker of a start as Southampton manager. Um, I, I don't understand what credentials he had to get the job in the first place. Unless, as Josh previously mentioned, they were kind of going, we're relegated and let's get him in and use him for next year. Um, so my zero, Nathan Jones. Uh, I'll move straight on to my hero. And mm-hmm. my hero for this week is Nathan Jones because the <laughs> Southampton manager who hasn't gained a win has just won the League Cup quarterfinal against Man City when they had their pretty decent side out. So, I mean, the guy's a tactical genius and he'll probably keep Southampton in the league. <laughs> There's nothing like sitting on the fence, Joe. I love it. Uh, I'm going for a slightly controversial off-topic one here and you might look at me and think, why are you doing this? But my zero this week is Adidas, right? Because they released, did you see, they released like a limited amount of those, like it's a remake of the 2000-2001 white Adidas Predator boot. Uh-huh. But they've like sold out everywhere. They they only made like a tiny amount of them. Okay. So I'm absolutely fuming So I've been waiting forever for them to make do a remake of it. And I couldn't even buy any. My Fuming. zero for this week um, is Pep Guardiola. And there's not very often I would probably put him in this category. Um, anything else from you boys? No, just nice to be back. Yeah, very nice to be back. Anything from you, Josh? Uh, just echoing Joey's thoughts, really. It's very nice to just sit and listen to three other people sort of know what they're on about when I chat such utter bollocks most of the time. So. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you've got the best opening statements to your uh, to your input, though, Josh. You sit back and we can watch you, and then you just impart that little bit of journalistic style that with the rest of us lack. And Danny holds it all together, and Chris is just angry, which, uh, you know, the combination of the four of us really nicely works. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, please go and follow us on Instagram and Twitter and all those jobbies at JaffPod. Um, and we'll be back next week for another douse of um, semi-mediocre podcasting. Um, Thank you very much for listening. See you next time.